Chapter 22 of In the Schoolroom. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anianas. In the Schoolroom by John S. Hart. Chapter 22 A Boarding School Experience. I have often wished I had the descriptive power of the man who wrote the diary of a physician. My experiences in another profession have not been wanting in incident, often of a curious and romantic kind, and sometimes almost startling. But the diary of a schoolmaster, to be read with interest, requires something more than a good basis of facts. He who writes it must have, also, graphic and narrative powers, a special gift, of which nature has been sparing to me. I had one experience, however, many years ago, so remarkable in some of its features, that perhaps the bare facts, stated in the simplest form, without artifice or embellishment, will be found worthy of perusal. The youth who was the principal actor in the scene which I am about to describe has been dead these many years, and I believe the family have nearly all died out. The only survivor that I knew anything of, ten years ago, was then blind and ill of an incurable disease. There would, therefore, perhaps be no harm in giving the youth's real name. But as the name is one widely known, and as it is always best to avoid unnecessary intrusion upon private affairs, I have concluded to use a fictitious name, both for the person referred to, and for the place from which he came. In other particulars the following incident is a simple narration of facts. At the time of which I am writing, I had a large boarding school for boys at Princeton, New Jersey. Particular circumstances gave me, for several years, quite a run of patronage from a town in one of the western states, which for convenience I shall call Tompkinsville. Among those who applied for admission from this town were two brothers, Bob and Charlie Graham. Bob was only ten years old, Charlie was fourteen, and as mature as most boys at nineteen. Mature, I mean not so much in his intellectual development, for in that respect he was rather behindhand, but in his passions, and in his habits of independent thought and action. I had many misgivings about the propriety of receiving these boys into the school. Most of those that I had already from Tompkinsville were of the fire-eating class, whom it had taken all my skill as a disciplinarian to bring into subjection, and I did not know what might be the effect of adding to their number two such combustible youths as these Grahams were reputed to be. Tompkinsville, indeed, had long been notorious for the fiery and lawless character of its inhabitants. While containing many most estimable families, where a generous and warm-hearted hospitality reigned supreme, yet no town, probably, in all the western states witnessed annually a greater number of street fights and other deeds of violence of the most desperate character. No family in Tompkinsville were more noted than the Grahams, on the one hand for the passionate warmth of their attachments, and on the other hand for the fierceness and violence of their resentments. Nothing was too much for them to do for you, when their affections were touched. On the other hand, no law, human or divine, seemed to restrain them when their blood was up. When roused by what they regarded as an insult, they were human tigers, no less in the quickness than in the desperate ferocity of their anger. 
the father once in open court in a sudden rage actually strode over the tables and heads of the lawyers and seizing the presiding judge by the collar dragged him from the bench and horsewhipped him in the presence of all his officials charlie himself of whom i am writing gave about two years after leaving school a similar demonstration of violence hearing that a young man who was a fellow student of his in a law office had done something insulting charlie drew up a formal written apology and presented it to the young man to sign intending afterwards to post it on the young man's refusing to sign the paper charlie drew a weapon of some kind and sprang upon him the young man being several years older and very large and powerful had no difficulty in disarming his assailant throwing him upon the floor and holding him there when thus down upon his back bound hand and foot and completely at the mercy of his antagonist charlie still demanded as fiercely as ever the signing of the apology giving the young man as the only alternative either to kill him or to be killed if you let me up alive i will shoot you at sight as sure as my name is charles graham knowing the desperate character of the family and feeling too well assured of his own social position to care for any effect the signing of such a paper might have the young man courageously let the ruffian up and signed the apology two days after charlie came back to the office thoroughly mortified and penitent for his outrage voluntarily gave up the paper and apologized in the amplest manner for his folly i might enumerate other instances by the score were it necessary to show the character of the boy with whom i had to deal but these are probably sufficient his passions were as quick as gunpowder and as indiscriminate had i known all that i afterwards knew in regard to his disposition and his antecedents i certainly would not have undertaken the charge of his education the grahams had been with me nearly a year without the occurrence of anything to attract attention or call for discipline the school had considerable reputation among the people of tomkinsville for the strictness of its discipline though the relations between the pupils and myself were for the most part thoroughly kind and friendly yet it was well understood by every boy who entered school that the will of the principal was supreme mr graham had probably brought his boys to the school for that very reason the routine of obedience had been so thoroughly established that his boys he thought would submit through mere force of example bob was too young to give any uneasiness he fell of course into many of the peccadillos of boys of his age and received without demur the treatment of a little boy charlie for a long time was almost a model of propriety he was diligent in his studies and observed the rules of the school with scrupulous care he was fair almost girlish in appearance and gentle in his speech no one merely observing the quiet modest boy going about his usual routine of duty without noise or turbulence would have dreamed of the sleeping volcano that lay beneath this placid exterior about the middle of the second term i began to notice in charlie symptoms that i did not like the harness evidently chafed him somewhere and there was no telling when he might kick out of the traces the crisis at length came one morning when the boys were in the washroom under the charge of the senior teacher charlie with what precise provocation i could never ascertain drew back his basin of water and threw it full into the teacher's face here was a case we were about to have an explosion evidently the young fire-eater's blood was up he was bent on having a scene and while his hand was in he would quite likely make up for all the long months of peaceful inaction all the tiger within him stood revealed 
The matter was reported to me, of course. After some little thought, my plan was chosen. Not a word was said on the subject for several hours. Meals, playtime, study hours, lessons, everything went on as usual. At length, about eleven o'clock, Charlie was summoned, not to the principal's desk in the public schoolroom, but to my private office in a remote part of the premises. As he entered the quiet apartment, it was evident that the intervening hours of reflection had not been lost upon him. He was pretty sure, of course, that I had sent for him in consequence of the occurrence of the morning. Still he was not certain. Not a word had been uttered in school on the subject, no allusion to it even. Altogether, there was something about the affair that mystified him. The following brief dialogue ensued. "'Where are your skates, Charlie?' "'In the box in the playroom, sir.' "'Where is your sled?' "'That is hanging up in the outer shed.' "'Where is your fishing-line and your ball?' "'They are in the playroom.' "'I wish you would get these and all your other playthings together before dinner. "'Peter—this was the head-waiter—has collected your boots and shoes, "'and Sarah—the seamstress—has got your clothes together and packed your trunks. "'I have made out your accounts and will be ready to send you home to your father by the afternoon train. "'You may help Bob also to collect his playthings. "'He has not done anything wrong.' "'But he is so young I think your father would not like to have him here alone so far from home.' "'All this was said in a tone as utterly emotionless as I would have used "'if asking him whether he would be helped to beef or lamb at table. "'Charlie was taken aback. "'If I had attempted to chastise him, "'if I had even used towards him the language of invective or reproach, "'he could have met the case. "'But here was an issue which he had never contemplated. "'After a moment of blank amazement, he said, "'Mr. H., I don't want to go home thus. It will grieve my father, and it will be a lasting stigma to me in Tompkinsville, where it is counted an honour to belong to this school. I know I have done wrong, but can't you inflict some other punishment? I will submit to anything rather than be sent home in this way. Put me in exile and, and at the side-table for three days, or any time you please. This was an extreme penalty, sometimes used in school for very grave offences. The boy who was subject to it was obliged to stand at a table by himself in the dining-room and eat bread and water, while the other boys and their teachers were at their meals. Besides this, during the continuance of the penalty, the culprit was not allowed to go upon the playground, or to speak to anyone, nor was anyone allowed to speak to him, under the penalty of being himself similarly punished. The punishment was, of course, a severe one in itself, and was very mortifying to a boy of high spirit. It was only resorted to in extreme cases, and was limited to one day. Charlie begged that I would exile and side-table him for a week, if I pleased, only not send him home thus. No, Charlie, I am not sure that your father would approve of your being thus publicly disgraced before the school and the family, nor am I myself sure that it would be right in the case of a boy so far advanced towards manhood as you are. In assuming the charge of you, I never contemplated anything in our intercourse but such as occurs between gentlemen. Since I have been mistaken in my estimation of you, let our intercourse cease. It would not alter your character to subject you to a humiliating punishment before the assembled school. If it were your brother Bob, the case would be different. But you are almost a man. You have been treated here, as at home, with the consideration due to a young gentleman. I would myself revolt at seeing one of your years and standing treated as you request me to treat you. I cannot do it. 
You must go home. Oh, no, no! Do not send me home. Do anything else. I will submit to any punishment you please. Flog me. Please, flog me. Flog you? Never. I have no scruples, as you know, on the subject of corporal punishment, for I often chastise the smaller boys. But boys as old and mature as you are have sense enough to be governed by other considerations than fear, and especially fear of the rod. If they have not, I want nothing to do with them. Oh, Mr. H., won't you please to flog me? And the boy actually went down on his knees and begged me to thrash him. He, Charlie Graham, whose veins ran fire, who six hours before would have leaped at my throat had I so much as raised my finger at him, was now begging me, as a special boon, to give him a whipping. I could hardly believe my senses. Yet there was no doubt of the boy's sincerity or of his earnestness. So, to give me time to reflect as to what should be done, I finally said, Charlie, I will think of what you have asked, and let you know at three o'clock. Three o'clock came, and Charlie again made his appearance. Do you still wish me to whip you? I do. I will make any apology you think proper to the teacher whom I insulted, and I will be most thankful to you to chastise me for the offence. Please to take off your coat. When the painful affair was over, I gave him my hand cordially and frankly, and said, Charlie, you have honourably and courageously atoned for a grievous fault, and I assure you, I restore you not only to your position in school, but to my respect and confidence. I never had any further difficulty with Charlie Graham. Years afterwards, when I met his father at the Springs, he could hardly contain his amazement when I told him that I had once flogged his oldest son Charlie, at his own particular request. It was, I suppose, the first and last time the hand of correction was ever laid on him. End of chapter 22 a boarding school experience. Recording by Anianas.